You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? Chillin', man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm currently eating grocery store sushi at 10 a.m. And it's a Aye. wonderful thing. Do you know why I'm eating grocery store sushi? Because well, I, I, you're gonna tell me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was waiting in line um, to get a sandwich at the grocery store, and. Um, the uh, sushi chef was just kind of laughing at something that this woman in front of me was doing. And, it, you know, you kind of like, if something, someone's doing something ridiculous in public, you kind of just give each other the eyes and, and you both know that this person's being obnoxious because you can't say anything, right? You can't, you don't want to create a scene, but the woman was being obnoxious. So anyway, the sushi guy gave me the eyes. <laughs> I went over and I asked him a question and right. it led into this like 40 minute conversation about his past. He had been a sushi chef in Tokyo for 27 years of his life. His sister gets sick in America. So he drops everything, moves over over here to take care of his uh, ill sister. Right. He takes this job that's just a couple blocks from his sister's house, which is only a couple hours a day because these, you know, grocery store guys, apparently they just go in in the morning, do their thing, stock up the sushi shelf, um, and then they check out. So he is basically the caretaker for his sister, but he cooks this, he makes this crazy sushi every morning. And it's great because it's like, you get it at grocery store price, but it's this really good sushi. You know, the fish is kind of hit or miss because it's still a right. grocery store, but, um, but man, it's good. And it, it, you know, it had me thinking of something when I was living in um, Berkeley, right? Um, just the culture I got so used to and I took it took for granted was this culture of all these um, kind of independent uh, ethnic restaurants and stores and corner markets that had like delicious, unique stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. you sure. grow up, if you grow up in some cities or suburbs, it's all chain stores and chain restaurants, right? You get like, yep, for sure. you get like the Mexican place that's not really Mexican or that, you know, they just boil all their meat and it tastes terrible. Um, but I just love that, that, yeah, that I can get like this authentic, you know, del- great sushi, uh, from the grocery store when I'm hungry, it may not be the best at 10 in the morning, but, uh, <laughs> why? Cause it time could, could be from three o'clock the afternoon before. Well, you know, you, n- you never know how sushi is going to end from a grocery store, not because of the chef, but because of, you know, what quality of fish they're getting. So if we have to end the podcast abruptly, you'll know why. <laughs> You'll just give me the old uh, sushi signal and I'll know what's, uh, what's, what's your, um, what's, so what's your take on, you know, my, what, so kind of what I'm saying is like, I, I prefer going to places that are truly authentic. Like someone, uh, someone like floated to a door, floated on a door to America with a recipe in their pocket to start this restaurant. Like that's, that's the experience I'm looking for. For Uh, sure. You remember uh, Falafel Dave at URI? Oh my God! Of course, I remember Falafel Dave. That, that guy, guy literally, 
that guy literally showed up from where did he show up from? That's the question. I feel like nobody he's knows. not from he Israel. Just, he's he apparated. He just, <laughs> <laughs> no, he totally. And, but but you didn't eat falafel, Dave's sushi. I mean, sushi. His his falafel because of the falafel. You ate it because it was falafel, Dave. Like, he understood good sales. The fla- good sales. He was just a friendly guy. I mean, he was seriously. He, he knew. He knew. He knew everything somehow, and just a fascinating guy. Tell everybody more. We're recording already, by the way. Tell everybody more about falafel, Dave. Well, falafel day, like, so I did orientation for the four years that I was there and we used to like go through the, uh, the whole, the up, up top of the campus, which was like this area with all the shops and CVS and everything. And you would like bring the students into the different places and, and everybody wanted to like make them feel good. But Falafel Dave just made you feel like you were the greatest person ever. And he would remember, I bet you if I walked in right now, he would be like, Hey, how's it going? And he'd like know who I was and be like, so you've been gone for about this many yep. years. He would just know you. I was like, it was like amazing. I actually had that experience once. And I bet you would be like the same thing with him where I had the guy who was my barber for like a good chunk of my youth. I went to college. I came back one time and he didn't recognize me. He clearly didn't recognize me. Like he was like, yeah, uh, okay. It's nice to see you, whatever. But like, you know, it's like one of those places where there are multiple seats and multiple people. I sat down in his chair and he goes, you like to surf, don't you? And I was like, yeah. I mean, we're talking like 10 years after I left high school or something. And he goes, I don't know what it is, but when people sit down in my chair, I start to remember things. And I just, and he's like, I could like the back of their head is more uh, like he recognizes the back of the head more than the front of the head. And he like just starts rattling stuff off. Right. And then you went to Rhode Island for college. And I was like, that is so impressive. And like falafel, Dave, no doubt in my mind, that's what he would do. He would know oh, yeah. exactly what you wanted to eat. He would know exactly. It's amazing. But when you, yeah, you had that experience during orientation, but Dave was that way on a random Tuesday throughout the whole oh, year. You, sure. You'd walk in and be like, hello, my friend, you've never been this before. You've never had the falafel before. Let me give you a falafel. You want me to rub it on your chest? I will rub a falafel on your chest. I rub it on mine. I rub it on yours. And he would just start handing, he'd throw falafels across the restaurant if you hadn't been there before. And even if you had, he would say, here's a falafel while you wait. You wanted the baklava. And he'd, hand, he'd just start handing out free food and he created this vibe and you know even if sure you weren't there to get food or you were just like you know drunk at two in the morning with your buddies while they were picking something up it was just a fun scene so i'll tell you he they, got they it do, he, he got they it. Do it they do it here right when you go into a falafel shop in israel they uh-huh. do what he did which is they will give you a falafel while you're waiting that's like standard practice okay but okay. they don't make you feel great about yourself like, <laughs> like it's like, like a it's like a misery like, falafel they literally <laughs> hand it to you they're like here take this okay shut just stand there for a minute i'll be with you in a second and like well, and Dave what's was like, the sauce on this falafel is it guilt <laughs> <laughs> is it guilt sauce and they're just like listen i don't want to i don't have to deal with you i actually one time had a guy where like where I used to work right near there, there was this great falafel place, which was called, and I'm going to tell you in Hebrew, and then I'm going to tell you in English. It was called Dal Kaloriot, which means what you can kind of hear there, which means low-calorie falafel, which, by the way, is an oxymoron. 
definitely an oxymoron from the get-go. And they're like, here, we're going to fry this for hours and it's going to be low calorie. I'm like, yeah, guys, don't even try it. So, so yeah, but it's not even, there's no point to it. I mean, it's chickpeas and herbs and spices. The calories should be high if they're, if, you know, in the beans. Oh, for sure. But they were trying to go, I don't know what they were going for with this one, but they were trying to do something Strange. here. So anyway, so this guy who like wrapped my sandwiches, okay. That was like what he did. He, this one day was like, I went to a different shop on the other side of town and there he was. And I was like, seriously, is there like a, like a study program, study abroad program? Why are you wrapping falafels over here when you, you work for that other shop over there? And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I do it everywhere. And I'm like, you do? Like, it was very strange. And yeah. I never saw him there again. Anyway, but uh, no, we had a lot of crazies up in the, in the top of campus. No doubt about that. Yeah, I miss that. I miss that sort of vibe. And, and he was one of the few that was, I, I guess a lot of the places up there in our time were, were more authentic the, and unique. Do you remember the Calzone place? Do you remember the Calzone DP? place? DP Zone? Yeah, yeah that place DP was Zone? great. So wait, do you know that they had a thing? I don't know how I figured this out. I, I must've just been there one night when they were also in a good mood. They weren't bad guys. They were Everybody I felt like had a decent thing going. You know what I mean? They, they sort of knew you, they liked you. But I came up this one night and they showed me a box they were sending out. They're like, you see this? And I said, yeah. And it says in all capital letters. And some people might know this right off the bat, but I certainly did not know this then. It said P-I-T-A in all capital letters. And I'm like, pizza? You're not working at Falafel Dave's. What do you got pizza for? And he goes, nah, it stands for pain in the putt. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they wrote on the people who called and they didn't like them. They wrote on the box, pizza. Like that was just so you knew. And they sent the rookies out to deliver it. Exactly. But then, you know, so, you know, the good, the good news about Dave was I went back, I don't know, five or six years ago. um, I was visiting my mom in Rhode Island and I was like, Kendra, let's go take a drive, you know, through, show you where I went to college and we'll go down to the beach and we'll eat somewhere. So I took Kendra through. Dave now owns an empire in the Emporium. He owns like probably five or six of the restaurants that he just sort of absorbed. And he knocked walls down between, you know, so I think, I don't know the types. I think it's like, he's got the Mediterranean place that he started with, but then maybe a pizza place and an ice cream shop. And there's just like one door, there's, you know, there's main doors, but it's just a big open. It's like a, um, almost like a, a food court at a, um, at a That's mall, amazing. you know? And so he's doing great. And I love that his vibe, you know, sort of did that. It wasn't, you know, his ability to like tear people down or, you know, s- screw people out of money and stuff like that. Like, I think there's, there's a noble way to rise. And it's just, it's so, it's so good to see that he thrived in some way. I, I pray he's probably listening right now too, just he's, because, oh, for sure. just because he follows every student. I mean, all thirteen thousand <laughs> students who go through URI every year, he 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 knows everyone. But um, I don't know. Is that you know? And and I kind of where we're living now is more. Um, there's definitely more chains than kind of authentic spots, mm-hmm. and so you got to seek out and and find those those places. Um, and it's just always funny when I talk to people and. Um, you know, like the other day I did a uh, staff lunch here and um, I was like, do you want, do you guys want um, Mediterranean food from this place or do you want Mexican from this other place? And they're like, oh, we should do Chipotle. And I was like, you know, Chipotle is not Mexican. It's owned by McDonald's. (laughs) And uh, 
yeah. Oh, and, okay. and so we went in, in Mediterranean, they were like half the staff were like, we've never even had Mediterranean food. We've never heard of it. So I was like, we're going Mediterranean. <laughs> You're going to find out what it is. And it was great food. And I was like this, I had to explain to everybody like, this is hummus. You put it on everything. This is tzatziki. <laughs> this is the garlic sauce. And yeah, we actually brush our teeth with it when we, uh, in this neck of the woods, you know what I mean? So <laughs> what's the, what's the, is, is that the scene out there? Are there a lot of like really independent, spots or do you have like falafel world yeah we've got so we basically moved i think there was a time and i think it was before i was here where things were much more um it's not mom and pop but things were much more uh not influenced by the western world and now we've got mcdonald's and we've got different places but like when i first started here they started a thing and this is actually was really uh from my vantage point, a little bit encouraging. Meaning we've taken our kids to all the different places because what's amazing about living in Israel is that everything's kosher. So like I couldn't eat at McDonald's in America. There's not a single McDonald's I could set foot in and eat it, right? So they somehow Israel, kosher McDonald's? Well, yeah, that you just have to use the right meat and not put any dairy in with it, right? You have to, and they do cool things. Like, first of all, uh, the name of the ones that are kosher now are called Mac Express, so that you know, they're always the place of people who give out the certifications for uh -huh. making things kosher are worried you're going to get confused. They're always worried you're going to get confused. But what they also did was they put like a huge divider in the, in the place so that anything which is dairy is on the other side, right? So that's like number one. But so I've taken our kids to McDonald's. We've taken our kids to the places here, which are, you know, based in Israel. And my son swears his favorite is one of the ones which when I first came here to Israel was first starting out, it's called Burger's Bar. English and um and like the, the name of it is English and the uh and so he like that's he's he said to me as we were driving the other day burgers bar is my favorite place to eat and I was so happy because you know McDonald's gives them the, the toy you know what I mean and the toy can be such a draw you know what I mean that yeah. they're like oh I want the toy but they really so yeah there are places here that that are much more um authentic to to Israel and there are things which have become more chain oriented but I think when you know and you know where to go. I think that's the, you know, that's the coolest thing when you find a place and you're like, yeah, this is where I'm going to go. Yeah, exactly. Like you be, begin to get to know the the owner or the, the cook or whatever, and uh, kind of get a better sense of the culture that they're shooting for and stuff. You become part of the family. I think that's one of the biggest, um, you know, moving forward beyond uh, the COVID and all the, the shutdown and all that. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see, how many of these small independent uh, stores and restaurants are able to stay open and um, be sad to see them go away. You, I mean, you see all the people who are, uh, most of the small places are losing money. Most of the big places are gaining money in leaps and bounds. We had a, a toy, a local toy store independently owned um, you know, talking about closing because they couldn't make ends meet. And at the same time, Amazon and Jeff Bezos have gained billion, hundreds of billions of dollars sure. in the past 10 months. For sure. And you're like, geez, where has the, you know, the personability, where, where's that going to go? Like, where, where's the drive? Where's the, you know, what's the falafel Dave going to do, you know, when he doesn't have enough capital to float these, uh, these 10 months of shutdown and all. We, um, we kind of made a, a pact, Kendra and I, to prioritize buying um, local gifts and for, for Christmas this year just to really, you know, kind of get, get in those places again, let them know that we're trying to support them. And it just reminds us of, a, of some, a priority of value that we, we would love to have regularly, but oftentimes the convenience of a drive through in and out burger or a, 
you know, uh, clicking buy now on Amazon, the convenience trumps everything else because it's just easier rather than, you know, going to our friend Jacob's coffee shop and, you know, actually having to pick it out and pay money. And, um, but I'd rather, you know, see Jacob thrive and get by. Uh, sure. Then. I mean, we actually had this, we had a really interesting thing where they were um, just before COVID hit, they were talking about building the first Amazon warehouse um, here in a place called Modi'in. And they were actually saying that they were going to, we have a horrible, I mean, the postal system in this country is horrible. That's just, that's just flatline. Like anybody who tries to run a business in this country from the mail, like let's say you were trying to do an online store, like it's almost impossible, especially if you're trying to send outside of the country. But Amazon was saying when it showed up, it was either going to revamp the postal system, which would have been a great thing, or they were just going to start their own postal system because they just couldn't deal with, I mean, like there's no such thing as instant, you know, like prime now, like that could never even exist. I mean, the stuff that we send that, that I, that like friends of mine, like I mail and this and that, I, I ordered a, I, I think I had a credit card coming and it was, it's still coming. I mean, it is literally weeks now still on its way. Um, and so, and I haven't, I haven't even seen the likes of it, but anyway, that, that I digress. But what's amazing is, is that the, uh, the whole, when COVID hit, it stopped it in its tracks. And I think there's something unbelievable about this country that everything you get, everything you order, everything you want to get, there's no instant buy. There's no instant thing that shows up. I mean, the only way that we get things from Amazon is when my, my in-laws show up. And so I, if I want to get anything that I can't get here, say like, you know, if I wanted to order a microphone for a podcast, right? You yeah, right. If anything comes in, if it's over $75, it gets charged tax. They, they will check the box and you will get charged tax for the thing that came in through the mail, right? That's number one. But number two, there's absolutely nothing. And I actually think as frustrating as that can be, it actually keeps it that you are remembering and buying local. You're, you, you don't have this sort of what the world has right now of this instant gratification. It's not there. We don't have such a thing here. Yeah, and yeah. everything we get, you know, it's the closest thing you have to instant gratification is like you said, I got to go over to Jacob's toy store and I got to go buy the toys for, for my kids. You know, there's nothing like, oh, I just hit that yellow button and boom, it shows up at my door. Yeah, and that instant gratification thing, it, it's, it's crazy how much entitlement it gives people, right? Like if you're, uh, you know, TV shows, for instance, right? People, I've heard people get upset lately about and, and stop watching shows if they're released one episode a week because oh, wow. they want to like binge the whole season on a Tuesday night uh, till 3 a.m. rather than, um, you know, sit and wait Tuesday to Tuesday for, for a next episode. I think that's the great, I, I still do that with my, when we watch whatever shows we watch and, and I'll be honest that one of the shows we watch, my wife and I, is we watch Grey's Anatomy um, mm-hmm. and that's it. I, I force us, although right now our schedules are such, it's not so hard to force us to do this, but when our lives were more, you know, I would force us to try and watch like one a week just because it also makes you feel like you have something to do for longer. Like who wants to do something like that and sit down and watch it in one shot and just it's done. I think I binge watched one thing and I've been by binge watching. I mean, I think I watched like episodes concurrently in a week and then was done in a week. You know what I mean? But like, I can't, I can't imagine why you would want to do it. And, and, it, and it definitely leads to people 
um, expecting things and, and demanding things of other people that are sometimes impossible. Like you, you look at the world in a totally different way when everything is coming to you and it's, and it, and you have nothing. Like it's, it reminds, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when, um, when Keanu Reeves says, I know Kung Fu. Like that's how people want to live their lives. What? They want to download. Oh, come on. Really? When he gets down oh, in the matrix, in the matrix, in the matrix, in the matrix. Yeah. you, you got to say this character oh, name. It wasn't Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Sorry. So when, so when, when Neo said, I felt like if I had said Neo, people would have been like, Neo is like some people would have been lost too. So in the matrix, when <laughs> Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Reeves is borderline crazy enough already, you're making it sound like he's Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> who's <laughs> oh my gosh. No. So the, uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to anybody. That's bad enough. That Shia, we have one Shia LaBeouf in the world. But anyway, so he—he's um, listening, right? He's definitely listening. And to you, we say, take it down a notch, okay? So he, when he actually gets inputted into his brain, the entirety of learning how to do kung fu—that's how people want to live their lives. They want the whole thing right now with no work, and like the journey and the work is like almost the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and you you can't convince people of that, you know, you, if. Um it's easier to get all of what they want when they want it. Um, why bother with the work and the effort? Uh, you know, and you wonder what kind of, what kind of world it's going to become uh, and how leaders are going to, you know, be raised up if uh, the worth work ethic isn't totally there. I, um, I talk a lot about, or think a lot about this um, usership, usership uh, culture versus ownership culture. Like for instance, when we, we're in high school and starting to you know, buy albums um, on cassettes and CDs, you bought an album. So if you liked one song, if you liked Rex and Effects's Rump Shaker, you had to buy the entire album as, for... As we all did. But yes, <laughs> come on. Because all I wanted to do was a zoom, zoom, zoom and a boom, boom. And a boom, boom, boom. Well, now everyone's zoom, zoom, zooming, but they're not doing enough boom, boom, booming, I'm afraid. That's the problem with the world. Go hopefully, ahead. So hopefully yeah, we don't have to... One song, you wanted one song you had to buy the album right but now you can pay spotify or apple music 10 bucks a month less than the cost of one album previously and you can have an infinite catalog and just pick and choose i want this song i want that song and you never get deep into an artist's portfolio right like sure some of the joy was finding those gems at the end of the albums like i remember um I got Tori Amos' Little Earthquakes album and for a couple of songs that I had heard on the radio. As all guys did in high school. Right? As all guys did, yeah. <laughs> and But the most amazing song is at the end of the album that no one's ever heard of. And it's still sort of like, it's Little Earthquakes, the title track. And it still like haunts my soul when I listen to it. It's beautiful mm. and it's deep and it's like, she's right on. It's so captivating, but no one's ever heard it because they just listened to the two songs that kept coming on the radio. They want, you know, and that's how it is now. You know, people will, won't go deep into an artist's portfolio because they just want to pay right. for what they use, not own. You know, right. and again, it's similar to what we were talking about in the beginning about, you know, authentic restaurants and um, you know, mom and pop shops. It's like we're losing the personable, transference um at you know that's the expense of getting what we want when we want it for sure i'll tell you a funny story about uh apple music my, when it first came out my father-in-law is into all his toys and he loves 
Apple Music and he got it right away. And so he came up to my, uh, my eldest daughter who probably at the time, I mean, she couldn't have been more than maybe six years old. And he said to her, it might've been, might've been somewhere between six and eight. And she said, and he said to her, I now have on my phone, any song in the world, ask me for a song and I will play it for you. And she goes, uh, Muppets take Manhattan. Somebody's getting married. It gets better. He looks on Apple Music. Goes, oh, uh, that, that one's not there. <laughs> like, you know, it's like stumped by the six year old, you know, like just like that. <laughs> I love that. It was amazing. Um, but like, look, what, what you're also talking about though, is you're talking about an inability, which, which, that the sound bite and, and getting everything as quickly as possible. And even when we were talking about, you know, the uh, getting the push notification and not reading the articles, right. Yeah. We're, what we're also losing is the ability to, to speak to people, send a message and, and for people to sort of be an audience in some way. Right. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a huge thing. I never, I've never even thought of that until you just said it. Like musicians used to be able to say, I'm putting out an album. When people buy my album, they're not just going to fast forward and rewind one song. Like, they're not going to do that. Like, especially when it was a tape. Like, oh, gosh, it took too long. It took too long. And then you had to listen to it in reverse. And you, you thought that never the find the spot where you. it started. <laughs> exactly. It's like as soon as you could hit something and go back a track, you know what I mean? Like a CD, that probably changed things a little bit. But I, I just think now, now thinking about how you, you put something out there, whether it be a podcast, whether it be something that you write, like how many people are going to really sit down and, and take the time that, cause it, it'll take longer than, even though every single article now tells you this takes two minutes to read. And I find that insulting because it always takes me longer than two minutes to read just for the record. <laughs> but, 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 you know, that, that, that sort of a, you know, soundbite life, you know what I mean? How, how are you going to get the, the message out to people of what, you know, the very important messages that I feel like you probably get out to people because they come to your church and they sit down and you have a captive audience as provided they don't fall asleep for a couple of minutes. You know what I mean? Like where you can talk to them and send them an important message. It's like, we're losing that. Well, and there's less, um, uh, there's less artistic rights being taken. You know, there's, you know, comedians, even they're, they're realizing they have to take less time to get in and out of a joke than really setting it up and letting people sit with a, a discomfort. That's kind of the new, the new alt comedy that's coming out. Um, I don't know if you heard any of those comedians or not, but it's a, it's a much slower long form and it has a meaning and a, a behind the jokes that are going on. And it's not mm. like quips and one liners. It's kind of elaborate commentary. Um, Nanette, Hannah Gatsby's Nanette. Did you see that on Netflix? I saw a chunk of that one. I think I saw that there was the previous one that she did pre pre Nanette, if I'm not mistaken. And I saw that one. And I, but that's I, I gotta a, be that's honest, a great it example. Didn't, it didn't of, connect with me. Go ahead. Tell no, me no, more. I'm, tell I'm me not saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Is um, she? It's a very long form. Like you have to listen and you have to go deep into. Um, the story and the meaning and you have to get, you know, explore your emotion as well as empathize with the emotion of the, the, the comedian on stage. It's not just quick wit and jokes with a, you know, with a setup and a punch and then a setup and a punch and then a setup and a punch where you're right, laugh, right. laugh, laugh. 
you know, in that, in that production, there's, there's 10 minutes go by when you're just sitting with your own sort of sadness and grief or guilt that you contributed to someone's uh, misery, like, uh, like this artist. And, uh, and that always makes me laugh. I got to just, put that, <laughs> that always makes me feel like, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, it's what I'm saying is it's, it's more of a work of art that you have to, and, and, and we're going to miss that if people are expecting, you know, joke, 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 and that's all they're interested in. Or they're like, I don't want to have to listen. It's like the album, right? I don't want to have to listen to these other nine songs before I get to the gold. I just want to listen to that one track over and over right. again. Um, right. But some of it's brilliant. And I find that in my profession, as I preach, um, there are certain messages, um, kind of core theology messages that people have heard since birth, no matter how old they are. And oftentimes those are like the greatest hits that they just want to hear again, right? Mm -hmm. Like God's grace is unconditional in some form. Uh, Jesus Christ died for your sins in some form. Forgiveness is um, eternal and freely forgiven, freely offered. You know, those things, if I take a 12 minute message and that's the, that's the point, um, or I'm going, you know, right to that message, it's lovable. But if I am sort of, playing with it a little bit more and asking questions of its depth or really wrestling with, um, you know, it does God really unconditionally love me. You, you lose people, you know, in those first three minutes, they're like, just, just play free bird. <laughs> free bird. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and they're, and they're missing the fact that there is, like you said, a journey um, to get there. And And if we're not comfortable with, you know, spending some time and doing the work and sitting with it, we're actually missing out on the, you know, the bigger and deeper meaning. And I think that's just, that's just such a shame with how a lot of things are going. Um, and when they can get the same message in a, in a meme on Instagram, it's yeah. hard for people like me to, you know, to really prepare this excellent, you know, 15 minute sermon. It's like, well, that, that 14 year old kid did it better on TikTok in 15 seconds. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, oh, wow. That's amazing. Let's see. I have not, I, I have to say, I haven't spent enough time sort of what, what I'm always impressed about what you're doing and, and what all spiritual leaders who are doing, who have a community and work with a community over a duration of time is that really, if you're doing it right, and it sounds like you are, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it sounds like what you're doing is you're helping people in, in such a long like you have to have like the long goal in mind. Am I right about this? Like you have to see what you want, you know, where you want people to be. And, and you, you, you can't, it's, you're not doing it. It's totally the opposite of a soundbite. Like almost as if right, right. every one of your sermons is going to connect. I mean, it would be amazing if all of them could, but, but the work you're doing is something that you're, you're working with people over time. And that relationship that you develop and that work that you do with them, I mean, it must be, it's completely different from anything else that I can think of in the world right now. Am I wrong about that? I don't know if it's different, but it's, it's definitely um, one of those sensibilities that we have to be really hyper aware of. And one of my um, teachers, Rob Bell talks about it being a, you have to give the micro and the macro at the same time. So if you're trying to prove a point within one sermon, you have to give a small example, but then a big picture of like, what is this on a larger scale? But you also have to consider each sermon is a micro um, example of building relationship with that community. And the, like you said, the long game is the macro, you know? So mm -hmm. 
in my in my um, time here, I've been here seven years as of yesterday, and in my first hey, probably three years, thanks. In my first three years, in a lot of my sermons, I just realized that I I, I was building relationship and rapport because some people only give me you know forty hours a year, right? Like or one hour a month, and so I can't assume that we have that relationship that I can challenge them. Or I can, you know, really lean hard on the law side of um, of the Bible. You know, I have to really, you know, kind of kind of hit it light, maybe, and then build relationship. Tell goofy stories about myself and my family so that they get to know me, but they also get to see, oh, I'm a normal guy. And now I can go. I can, I can take a lot of um, privilege, a lot of not. Um, I don't know what to call it. License. Yeah, license. To not, you know, explain like when I tell a story, I can just say, so me and Zoe were sitting there on a Tuesday and this happened. I don't need to go. Well, Zoe's my first daughter. She's now seven years old. And we had this, <laughs> this issue in the past. You know, it's like, I assume people know. And if they don't know what their the new folks here is, oh, this guy already has a relationship with the congregation, right? And so you've got, you know, I'm thinking long game at the same time of telling a story or preaching one sermon. And I don't, I mean, I think you're right in some way. And I, I can't think of other places in the world where that's true, where you're not just called to produce or perform. And it's not about like the efficiency of getting something new out every time. Um, but it's, a, you know, it's also a, a struggle and a battle. And sometimes, you know, when messages fall short, uh, sometimes I have, I have a good idea of what happened and I'll, I'll work through it and, take notes on how to fix, how to, you know, work on it for next time or what to consider. But sometimes it's just like, I have no idea what just happened. And it might just be culturally, like we're kind of talking about culturally, people just didn't want to go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's funny because I think in some ways we're working in opposite, in opposite fields in some ways, because like I said, I'm not, I'm not a community rabbi. I don't have this sort of long game. I don't have the luxury, I could even say, of having a long game. I basically, when I work and I do uh, my job as a moil, when I'm working with families for, to do a circumcision, I literally have one week with them. And sometimes what I'm doing, it sounds like your short game. Like I'm trying to give people who may be you know, religious, they may not be religious, I'm trying to give them the best experience I can possibly give them in a religious context in that sort of, and literally what happens between us is we'll be on the phone for a little while, but then the, the actual event that occurs, it's, you know, one hour that I'm with these people and that's it. And then I sort of check on the baby afterwards and that's it. I don't really necessarily see them again. till maybe they have another boy. And, and I try, and what I always try to do is give them this sort of window into the world of Judaism and just be as unbelievably positive and open and warm and, and, and warm and welcoming and try and sort of say, maybe this will just, you know, give them a grain of, you know, a little seed that will hopefully bring them in a little bit more. Um, and what, and what ends up happening is you, you, you also get welcomed into people's houses, right? Cause I come, I check the baby before I come. Sometimes the, the, the circumcision is actually done in the house. So I feel like I'm part of these people's lives in some way. And then every once in a while, I get this sort of wake up call that I don't know these people at all. Mm-hmm. Like I had this one time where um, I saw the grandmother of one of the families that I did, you know, maybe a year or two years after. And the, the, the grandmother turned and said, I said to her, how's everyone doing? She goes, actually, things are really bad. She said, the mother and father both fell back into drug use 
um, I'm taking care of the baby that you did the circumcision for and the parents can't see the baby and it's really bad for them and they don't want to go into rehab. And it was like this complete jolt that like shocked me. And I went like, I don't know these people at all. Mm. As much as I feel like I got brought into their life for that, you know, one week, it's like, I would have never have guessed. How would I have known that these people were struggling with these sorts of things? You know what I mean? And I, and it was just a sort of, by the way, you feel like, you know, these people and you do the best that you possibly can, but you really don't know these people at all. It was, it was very shocking. But it's amazing that you, you were like, you were like a mascot basically for Judaism uh, in the, in that first (laughs) week, right? Like, like you were sort of like the poster child emulating all the best. And what that does is it gives them a micro version of what they could get as a part of the, you know, full religious package. And when there came a time that they, you know, needed and yearned for that, they remembered uh, or she remembered at least that, oh, there's this, you know, comforting, warm, inquisitive Moyle um, who was great with our family. Um, and they, she, you know, it sounds like she opened right up and that's, that's, I mean, that's where the micro macro thing comes and the personal relationships are essential. You know, you can't do drive through religion. You can't do drive through uh, circumcisions. Oh my God. Well, we're, we're, Look, we're let's get an it. image of we're that. Let's, uh... <laughs> let's get, we need a meme fast. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But you no, got to do, time, go ahead. You, you got, that's the, 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 no, what I was going to say is what you're hitting on, which I think is right is sometimes, and I'm sure you get this in your, in your church as well. You might have that person only for that one time when they walk in. Right. And I think that's what happens with rabbis as well. We have our high holidays, right? People come in for one moment. You have one moment to sort of grab them and try and get them to, to want to stay more and want to come back for more. And that's all. And like, and, and do, do you always have that, that in your back of your mind when you're, when you're preaching or is it just, you're doing what you're doing and and whoever grabs on. Not when I'm preaching. I think when I'm preparing, I do. Um, we're also trained that our profession is a public, um, a public role where, you know, you can't separate that for a lot of people. If I'm in the grocery store and people see, someone sees me who knows I'm a pastor, they can't separate that I'm a pastor from a guy in jeans grocery shopping. And in right. some areas of the country, from what I know, it, that that's heavier than others. Like in New England, I remember a um, a colleague. Uh, I think he was in Massachusetts. He got called into a private meeting with the council president because a member had written a scathing letter um, saying that they were upset that their past that they ran into their pastor at a movie theater without his clergy collar on. Ooh. And I thought you know, he's not a cartoon character, right? Like, you know, the guy likes movies and, and, and is com- more comfortable in flannel shirts than, but, um, you know, out here, it's, but that it's person not- who wrote that, the person who wrote that was probably like that person who saw their teacher at the grocery store when they were a kid and was like, you're not supposed to be here. You yeah, live right. in the school. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. they yeah. never let that go. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we are sort of trained and talk a lot about what it means to be a a public role. Um, And and the the burden and gift that it is that we have to hold a higher standard for ourselves. Um, You know, sometimes it's, it it helps us. Sometimes we get to ride that, um, that generosity and being treated a certain way in public. Uh, You know, I've got comped meals at restaurants where someone knew 
uh, knew I was a pastor, local pastor, but you know, we also get knocked down sometimes because there's a high expectation. So when I'm preaching, I, I have a sense that I've prepared well enough that what I'm going to present or, 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 or lead, um, is going to have integrity and be aligned with all of that. But once I'm preaching, I'd rather be in the moment than try and figure out like, Oh, I need to say this this way because there's a gentleman in the back who's this political bend or has this amount of money. You know, it's sort of like I've prepared well enough. I'm not saying I don't have anything on my mind or in my heart that's malicious or, you know, dangerous or the public shouldn't know um, so that I can, you know, be fully present with whatever God wants me to share. Um, but it's something that, yeah, we, we definitely wrestle with. I mean, you're probably the same where when you're out in public like that, grandma recognizes you if she, even if she didn't say anything like you may walk by five families who you did the bris for uh, their kids or grandkids or their best friends and they were there and you have no idea but they're calling you that guy who told that joke or you know made judaism a little more personal than um than any rabbi they'd ever seen and that's the you know again it's a it's a blessing and a curse it's like sometimes you just want to Sometimes you just want to see a movie or buy some, you know, <laughs> you know, buy some crap cereal and not be judged for it. Uh, so I, mean, I, I have a lot of empathy for my colleagues who, um, and I think it might be a, I'm just going to say a little bit more complicated in America than in his here in Israel. I feel like, um, but it, if there are these sort of stringencies that we have um, in the Orthodox tradition, like there are things like you're you're not supposed to uh, swim with the opposite sex something that uh, in Ever? the traditional camp uh, what about um, animals well, it, how do you know if the animals <laughs> underneath you in the ocean <laughs> you always have to check is there you a- always have to check. but they but they so these people that i know you know they can't have a life they can't go to the beach you know and, and i'll tell you there was a time where i was teaching surfing when we met at that that time that i stayed with you in berkeley yeah. We, you know, I felt like we were walking like Batman and Robin up the up the hill, <laughs> you know, in, in San Francisco. Yeah. That's how straight up and vertical it was. But, the, <laughs> but when I was staying with you there, there was a there was a family that was from a more traditional or brand of orthodoxy that, than I was, you know, slightly to my right, we'll say. And they wanted to come learn how to surf. And it, and I think I told you the story once before. But what I left out of the story was. The, they asked me at one point on the Shabbat, you know, can we come and learn with you? I said, sure, just call this office and, you know, they'll, they'll hook us up and you'll come and learn during the week. It's great. It'll be great. And then later on in the afternoon, the father of the family came up to me and said, so what do you do about the whole swimming thing? And he was implying, you know, how do we, I mean, you're not going to, there are separate beaches in Israel where beaches are cut down the middle with like a, almost like a, a, a divider in the middle. Women are on one side, men are on the other side. And he said, so what do you do about the whole swimming thing? And I said, uh, you kind of just do it. And he went, <laughs> all right then, see you on Tuesday. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, I don't have an answer for you. If you're going to go surfing we live in, and you live in America, there are no options for you here. I cannot you know, tell people, okay, all women out of the water, all women out of the water now. Like it's not possible. So like there are these things, but they can't, I mean, take that whole thing of like just not having your collar on it and imagine that people are micro analyzing what they know about Judaism, what laws you are supposed to be keeping, which they probably aren't themselves and looking at you and saying, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, I feel, I, I, I thank God every day. I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. It's, it's similar for sure. Um, I, I wonder if it's any different because 
in Judaism, the laws are are written and 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 widely known. Whereas for me, it's more um, you know expectations and assumptions, right? And especially for people who aren't a part of my church, who here I'm a pastor. You know, I think when I go to um, like a friend's house, friends' parties and stuff, um, you know, you first question, "What's your name?" Hi, I'm Ralph. Hi, I'm uh, Amanda. What do you do? She's a teacher. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Immediately, there are assumptions. Oh, he never has sex. Oh, he doesn't eat meat on Fridays. Oh, he's, you know, he's going to start trying to convert me. You know, there's these, there's these things that they, they, these tapes from their childhood or bad experience they had with someone selling Bibles at the front door when they were six. And they think I do all those things. And so these suddenly get, don't do all those things. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do all those things. Um, We played a game. I remember uh, there's a friend's maybe birthday party. We were playing um, apples to apples for like two hours. Oh man, we um, love apples to apples. There's an apples to apples Jewish edition, which actually was very popular in this house for a little while. (laughs) Kosher apples. Kosher apples. Exactly. No, so there was a, there's actually, because the questions will just have this slant, you know, that's more towards Judaism. And I'll be stupid things like, so, you know, like what's a schmuck or something like that, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah. The, but I, my nephew for his entire, you know, childhood would say as, as Shabbat lunch was finishing. So we're all sitting around having lunch. He would say, who would like to play apples to apples, the Jewish edition? He would say that all the Okay. So you're playing apples <laughs> to apples. <laughs> the Jewish edition. Does, every, Jewish board, does edition. every board game have a Jewish edition? You know, probably, definitely, there's got to be a monopoly out there, right? I mean, that one's got to have a Jewish edition. I, I'm just putting it out there. I've never found it. I'm not looking for it. There's but, an edition of everything monopoly, I think. I think there's, I know. that's why no, it's a safe bet. It's like no. saying, is there is there life in another part of the universe? Yeah, there's a safe bet that there's a Jewish version of that monopoly. I think the monopoly man actually went bankrupt. And so now he's selling the rights to anybody any small town um that will be interested i there's one we're in a near a town called um placerville and there's a placerville monopoly game so if placerville was able to buy a monopoly game i think rich uncle Pennybags, uh <laughs> that's his name by the way he's the mascot um the, oh yeah i didn't realize that was there yeah he had a name yeah uh, you, you treat him with some respect jamie that I'm man sorry. i apologize Developed an iconic board game. It, it, it's it's just a sad affair that he got addicted to monocles and spent his earnings. Well, on didn't these he only half addicted to monocles? Is that possible? That it was. Like oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, not really, because I mean, if it's if he were addicted to glasses, yes, and he only purchased monocles, then he'd be half addicted to. Well, he was, or maybe he was cutting down. You know what I mean? He was trying to like wean his way off. Of half the, addicted to monocles would just having would be having like the half circle under his uh, eye. Like it's like a moon. It's like a moon. Um, yeah. So go ahead. Jewish monopoly. Anyway. Oh, so we're playing apples to apples, and um, a couple uh, who I'd never met before came in uh, and jumped in on the game, and then we stopped and we're doing some stuff, and we were chatting. Um, and they found out I was a pastor and the girl was immediately almost like terrified. She was, she was like mortified with her behavior. She started apologizing. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I was like, what are you sorry for? And she, she was like, thought oh, she had to confess. I can't believe, I can't believe I said that during apples to apples. And Oh my gosh, I didn't even know you were here or else I wouldn't have done that. And I was like, did you hear what I did? Like, so she, <laughs> were you not watching? I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't flippantly inappropriate, but we, you know, we had fun, and it wasn't all, uh, you know, candy canes and uh, 
teddy bears. And so, I, you know, I think there's this expectation of us, but, you know, we just are the acknowledgement of our role of people often like stand up straight, like the drill sergeant just came in the room. And it's this weird deal where people think that you can't be a certain way. You can't have a sense of normalcy. Like you're this, you're this very like, uh, singular uh, image of what's in their head and anything that breaks that mold is inappropriate or not for sure. But I think in Israel, it's, we have a little bit of a a little bit more leeway because when I was here studying my first year, I'm almost positive that the guy who delivered the pizzas from the pizza store was a rabbi. Like there's just, everyone's a rabbi, you know, like everybody's, and it's not like you, so the guy's delivering pizza, Yep. You're not going to yep. be held to that highest standard. Baruch Hashem. Yeah. <laughs> At least that. So, hey, um, isn't it um, this week? Isn't it the 30th anniversary of your bat mitzvah? Oh, you're so good to me. I, you're, try, you're trying to make me a lady. You know that, right? It's, my, it's the 30th anniversary of my bar mitzvah. That's what I said. Did it, did it not sound right? Bar mitzvah. Yeah. You, you bought mitzvah me and that's fine. I don't, we have that. We're close like that. So it's quite all right. Uh, but I didn't yes, do it intentionally. Just like it was your seventh anniversary, it is my 30th anniversary of my bar mitzvah this coming Shabbat. I can't believe it. I was like sitting here just, I, I realized last week, because we, it goes by the time, the time that the, uh, the different Torah readings happen, and they always, they never fall out at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and usually it falls out over Hanukkah. It usually would have been this past Shabbat. Uh-huh. But it's actually going to be this coming Shabbat because the things just don't always match up anyway. So, yeah, I, I can't even believe it's been 30 years. <laughs> what, now, what's the significance of the, you know, is there a deeper significance? Do you have a different way to celebrate? Uh, tell us oh, the more 30th, about the, the anniversary. 30th anniversary. Yeah. Well, not the 30th, so, but any, any anniversary, I guess. So there are some people who, um, it depends on what you did at your bar mitzvah, because what's usually done, the usual things that are done at your bar mitzvah are. That get a you lot get of money. A, Yes, that is that is, but that is done to me. I, Adam I, Sandler what, comes comes and sings some horribly inappropriate songs. That that I I wished for that. That could have been the, a lot of money might have gone to helping me get him to come, but it didn't happen. Um, so, and in fact, I think my bar mitzvah was before he was even on the map. Believe it or not, but the but but I'm dating myself. The uh, the first thing you do is you either get a section of the Torah that you read. Because uh-huh. we all, there's a part of the in the on the Shabbat morning service where you read this this section from the Torah, and there's a section that you read from the prophets, um, and so yeah. those two things are done in usually Hebrew, right? It's in Hebrew. In, yep, it's in. So Hebrew. it's usually like a, like like uh, public speaking and in a language that you're just really not, not, not comfortable with yet. Right. Not to mention, not to mention your voice is changing. So you're supposed to sing oh and, most of it, and you're hecking up with the wazoo. There's spittle probably going everywhere. It's a mess. You might um, as well be naked at the same time. <laughs> I, I imagined everyone in the, in the congregation that like that. Exactly. So the, um, so some people who read uh, the entire section of the Torah and the after and the, and from the, and the prophets, they will do it every year. My, my, some of my uh, family members do their repeat doing it every year. Um, I never kept up with it. I am not that talented. So I usually do not repeat and do that. Um, I don't know if anything special is going to happen. My, my kids got so excited when I mentioned they were like, really? And I was like, yep, it's my bar mitzvah anniversary. And I was like, wait till you know what bar and bat mitzvah means. And you really have to do this yourself. You're probably not going to be that excited. <laughs> yeah. Cause your oldest isn't even there yet. Right. No, she'll oh, be, she? uh, she'll have her bat mitzvah in two years. She's 10. 
So she'll, in two years, she'll do it. And for women, it's different in the, in the Orthodox tradition. They don't necessarily read from the Torah and read from the, there are some who do in the, in the Orthodox tradition, but not everybody. And so what she wants to do, she's already sort of expressed her desire. She wants to do some learning together. And then she'll probably, uh, we'll have like a, a get together um, and she'll probably teach about what she learned. Um, so that's probably what she'll end up doing. And my son has no idea what's coming for him. You know, how I told you read a section of the Torah. Yeah. Well, it's there are these times. Yeah. Well, yeah. Under normal circumstances, when you have one section of the Torah that you're reading from, it's lines and lines and lines and lines of reading. He has to read, uh, what's called a double portion. Sometimes during the year to make it so that we can read the entire Torah in the year, it doesn't work out that each of the sections, we have the same number of weeks as we have sections of the Torah. So you have to double up. (laughs) So he has no clue what's coming and it is so much reading. And he is like, I just pray that he'll, uh, I feel like that's like a, that's like a religious, like a, like they're just like sort of getting back at people and they, Oh Oh boy, this is going to be fun. Let's, let's, let's prank every, uh, Every, every other person yeah. somehow oh my god this <laughs> is a roll of the dice oh it's he's he has and it just when it has to do with when you're born i mean it's just when you're born that it falls out that that's your torah portion and so when we checked it out we're like oh let's see what his torah portion is we we're like oh no uh, <laughs> you're already checking it us. out yeah oh my god there, there are people who when they do the they when i have Mo, a mohel that i know who does the circumcisions in in new york and he says be ready his bar mitzvah will be on this date and he will read this Torah portion at the bris. Can you oh believe that? Gosh. I know. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on people. Well, geez. A, I mean, they're already, they're already prepping. My girls did one song for a Christmas musical last week and we did like prepped for a, uh, an hour beforehand. Can't imagine knowing their whole lives. They're going to sing this one song. <laughs> It's very, it's, it's, a, it's intense to say the least. And on top of all that, I left out the part. You're supposed to like speak. You're supposed to like tell everybody about what you read and why it's important to you. And da, da. so there's oh, yeah, a speech yeah, yeah. involved. Uh, it's all that stuff. And you're, and you're basically up there. And most of the time, all I can remember from mine is thinking things like, why doesn't anyone give the rabbi a breath mint? I think he needs one really, really bad. Like, and he's speaking right in front of me. And I was like, I think in my mind, I was like, if I ever become a rabbi, I'm going to have lots of breath because I'm never going to do this to a kid. That's just what it is, man. It's part of our, uh, you know, it's our norm. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, they'll tell me something quickly before we sort of wrap up. I know we're getting close. Is there something in your tradition that you guys do some sort of milestone marker like the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah? Um, you know, there's a confirmation about at the same age. It's, um, uh, 12, 13. So seventh, eighth grade ish. Um, they, it's a couple of years of, you know, it's, it's a number, it's an education process, um, learning about kind of the tenets and foundations of the religion and how to live by it and what to follow. And then, you know, we try and incorporate some question asking and, and bigger picture, like not just memorize this information and spit it out, but it's like, mm-hmm. play with it a bit. How Compare this to other religions. Um, uh, you know, we have debates about, you know, whether certain theologies are, are right or not. And, um, and so we kind of let them play with it a bit because that's how seventh and eighth graders learn best. Uh, they're challenging authority, you know. And so Do they come in like once a week. Do they come like once a week to learn? Like how does every it work? church is different. They, every church is different. You know, the Catholic church has a pretty strict catech, catechumenate program. Wait, they're um, strict in the Catholic church. Is that yeah. true? 
Yeah, you'd be surprised. That's news. Even, even That's though, news. yeah, yeah. And there's there's, so, no, there's no lawsuits about that, I guess. Anyway, they... Oh, no, 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 no. That's so, not. yeah, I mean, it's it's scheduled for us. They, it's twice a month. Um, it's two classes a month. And then at the end of that, there's a number of kind of projects that they do. Um, and then they give their, you know, we, it's an affirmation of baptism, we call it. So in baptism... God says, I love you. I'll always love you. In confirmation, it's the student with a conscious and mature mind saying, I love you too. I want to, I want to live this way. So it's an affirmation of what they received at birth, essentially. They don't so, say I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, gosh darn it. People, people like, me. like me. Hey, you know, are you sure you're not, you're not. Oh, I do daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, wow. So wait. <laughs> One of the greatest sketches of all time, in fact, if I'm not, you know, if I have to go out on the limb. Um, uh, yeah, so that's our kind of rite of passage. And so and that's when we kind of become, students become uh, kind of contributing adults in the congregation. They become members of the congregation. They, they're allowed to great. vote in the, um, in the, you know, annual meetings and whatever business needs to be run. Uh, you need to be a member. And it's, it's funny because, you know, now, bar mitzvahs may be very different, but now, um, 13 is very young and, and immature to be making you know, these lifelong decisions. But when the church sort of set that this was the time for confirmation, it was a time at which um, students were done with um, kind of their, their, their general education and they would basically take on the trade that their father had or go take care of the homestead, you know, so it was more uh, an old world process where that at 13 you were you were an adult you're making mature oh, decisions sure. a lot of people no, you were getting married it, it, married the Jewish tradition, yeah. afterwards yeah and Jewish so tradition is the same thing for sure 13 getting married sense. like around that yep and now you know 13 year olds are still in sweatpants picking their nose and running away from girls if you're and, lucky you know so <laughs> yeah if you're lucky um and so i think i don't it's, it's a very different dynamic now you know i think there for me i think there needs to be something either move confirmation to like when they're juniors in high school and they're beginning to ponder um their life in college and and independence from their parents and all that stuff uh or create another benchmark where it's even more you know kind of um autonomous you know independent can you create more other benchmarks can you do those sorts of things with your church uh, not yet. Uh, I'm not a saint. I've got one more, uh, one more miracle to oh. pull off, and then, nice. uh, and then we'll see. The miracle that we're hoping to pull off is a, a, a solo dance number at the Christmas Eve service. Because if I can dance on camera and make it look good, Ooh. that is certainly a miracle. So if I do that, I'm a saint, and then I could, I could create whatever I want and say it was. Check Jesus. it off the bucket list. Yep. yep. Off. Yep. That's yep. that's gonna happen. Did it. Did it. So we we will see. Seriously, no, you have to be at saint status to be able to. to no, do this? I'm joking. I could do it for my <laughs> for my congregation for my church. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, not for like the you know worldly confirmation. No, no, really... no, no, no. I'm not talking about the world. I'm saying how much autonomy do you have as a pastor? Do you get to do like and create these sorts of things and meaningful moments for the people that you work with? Like that's not that's pretty strong in and of itself. Yeah, a ton. I mean, it's there's a lot that they're just sort of like you know the the theology's the same the religion's the same uh but how we how we how we teach and learn it is completely independent which is both good and bad right because some people never hold on to records or buy other people's curriculum so every pastor is writing their own sort of curriculum and process and model and you're like 
come on, like, can't we, can't we get our stuff together and, and, uh, you know, get a unified process from a bunch of experts that do this? Cause I'm not a, a education professional. I don't know how to write this stuff, um, incredibly well. I know how to do it to the point where, you know, people go, yeah, that's, that's good enough, but, um, it's not great. I'd love to have other folks. And I often, I'll read everybody's stuff and buy other people's stuff to compare it to and, and steal from as much as possible. Sure. Well, cool. This seems like a good place to wrap up for the day. For um, sure. Happy Hanukkah is today the fifth. Thank you. Fifth night, this, right? It's, it just started. Fifth night just started because we'd started the night. And yeah, got a couple more days to go and a couple more bad presents to give to the kids. I'm looking forward to them looking disappointed and not really that excited. But tonight, just to give you a sense, it was umbrella night tonight. Everyone got an umbrella. Ooh. I'm telling you. You fancy. We, um, they, they were really excited. <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy, though, for you because you, you just need to play the average. You have eight nights of gifts, right? So yes. if you just get, you know, four good ones, you can give them four crap ones, right? And you're sure. like, hey, it came out, came it, out it as a win. Doesn't, the averages work out for most families. It's like one good one and seven really bad ones. That's how uh, it mostly works out. Is that how you, but, it's how you get back at your kids, right? That's right. Cause they did it to me. You will get socks and you will thank me for the socks that I gave you. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Cause Christmas, it's gotta be good. Cause you get one shot a year, one that's shot. It. It's, it's like, what's M&M, the 12 nights know? of Christmas all about? Can can somebody elucidate that to me? What's the 12 nights about? 12 nights. Till 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. What's that oh. all about? Oh, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's probably, uh, rich people who just want to rub it in other people's faces Got it. that they can I do this for 12 to... days in a row. They probably also had no children and could, could put up with <laughs> this for over 12 days. Well, Cause the part saying... that I struggle with, with Christmas is the number of lies we have to uphold concurrently and oh. then add layers to of, you know, so there's like the know, tooth fairy on crack. Is that what you're saying? Oh that, my gosh. There's, there's the, um, the elf on the shelf that has to be hidden every night. And then there's notes that go back and forth from the, the elf and, and Santa Claus and Jesus. And how do they know one another? How did they have, didn't they? And yeah. there's all this stuff and you're kind of making it up on the spot. I feel like uh, our next podcast should be resources for the lies we have to tell our fam, our, our, our kids <laughs> Uh, to justify these holidays. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think, do you have I'll any, you, are there any Hanukkah lies oh, you have to uphold? Uh, There's no, no like, but what's, I'll tell you what's really Hanukkah and, cookie monster or something that, can I just, that can eats I, just all your cookies. Before I, no, we don't have that. We don't have that yet. You gotta, but do, we, do you have a, do you have like your kids don't listen to the podcast, right? No. So just, just for the record, my, my four year old, asked to listen to the podcast the other day, listen for five seconds and goes, this is boring. Yep. That's, <laughs> I mean, like, that's I'm what not did worried. you expect? So good. So as long as they're not listening, I'll put this out there. One of the hardest things for me is that I, you, our, one of our mutual friends from my roommate from college, Lou, actually, like I would like talk to my kids about, okay, we're going over. I would always sort of visit around Christmas and I would say to them that there's, yes, there's, there's Santa Claus, but Santa Claus really doesn't exist. And then like, they would like say it to their kids. I'd be like, no, you're not allowed to tell the other kids <laughs> that Santa Claus doesn't exist. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's some truth to that. I mean, some, it's a nice release and they always know, uh, you know, yeah. know what's true anyway. and what's not. Cause my, my, my struggle is, uh, my question is once they find out about Santa, who's to say they're not going to ask, well, is Jesus real too? 
Ooh, that's going to be a bigger question. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> that's um, going to be. A it's like one. that. That Jim Jim Gaffigan tells a, a pretty good joke. He's like, you know, we tell our kids to lie, but we lie to them all the time. He's like, <laughs> my kids come in the kitchen sometimes, and I'll say, no, oh, you won't like this ice cream. It's too spicy. It's too <laughs> As spicy. he's eating eating an ice cream cone, it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of true. If you could just be honest with being a liar uh, and having some fun, it's. It's sort of like payback and they'll figure it out later and then they get to play in on the joke and it's all I'm good fun. You, I it's just all- was afraid that other that, that, that the parents would be mad at me for bursting the bubble. You know what I mean? Like the Jewish guy comes into the house and then tells everybody that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Why do we invite these people? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, luckily my kids won't listen to this part and have to blame you for being that Jewish guy. Oh, but God. it's a fun episode. Thanks for chatting, Jamie. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see yeah, you man, next hit week. Us up on, uh, you can hit us up on the, the, the comment. You can like, you can share, you can do all that stuff. Don't forget to subscribe, whatever. We'll, we'll see you on the next one.